morning, everybody. Howdy. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we're back for Alan Brent Testing. Sometimes no. known as A-B testing. Yeah, better, I don't. Better name. I like A-B yeah. testing better. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to edit that not. <laughs> How you been, Brent? I am pooped. I am working. Uh, I'm, I'm essentially, my brain is working, seems like 20 hours a day with, um, with school and work. That's right. This is your last, you're almost done with school, right? I have, once I get done with this class, I have one more and I cannot wait. I don't regret the decision at all. It has really helped uh, my career, but you know, it's no, time for it. It's time for it to be done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. All it's right it's then. time to get back into industry problems and not the combination of both. I get that. Yep. How's your kid doing at college? He's doing great. He's uh, he's getting straight A's. the The only issue he has right now, he's not doing proper financial planning. Like every other 18-year-old heading off to college in the world. He's 19 now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a generalization. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. So he's, he's figured out how to live within his means, paycheck to paycheck. And I'm like, yes, yeah, son, you need to buy your own master's degree. How is that going to get you there? Did I tell you what I did with my son? I don't think so. No. So Washington, what is it, the 529 plan, yeah. the Microsoft, or the uh, Washington Git program. Yeah. So I've well, paid. But, I'll, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. So I've paid for his, the deal I have with him for college is I have bought enough credits on the Washington Git program that will pay for his uh, bachelor's degree all the way through. And <clears throat> his first year, I'm paying for his dormitory. And his food at the dormitory. And then the last part is for the next four years, I'm sending him $500 a month. But I've informed him that's all. Everything else, whatever else he wants to do with his life is up to him. It's very similar. So my father was uh, permanently wounded in the Vietnam War. And so that plan is very similar to the plan I went through. Um, I bolted on a second undergrad degree. Uh, I ended up, uh, to be able to afford that, I ended up having to get a job to cover rent and food and books and all of that. So I'm making him go through a similar experience, and uh, we'll see what happens. I think that's good. My parents didn't have such a formalized plan, but it was definitely a tapered plan where my freshman year, uh, they paid for, cause I lived in the dorm and with the meal plan. So they paid for that plus my tuition. And then the next year I moved off campus, which was much cheaper. And they paid for my rent, which was like a hundred bucks a month. Um, I'm old, uh, uh, rent and tuition. No, but you went to central, but then I bought probably still a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> I bought my actually the because uh, I'm on the alum, alumni board there. The enrollment is so high that it is they are struggling to find a place for everyone to live. Mm. 
they're 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 bursting at the seams there. So it's supply and demand means those prices are going up, unfortunately. So I think my next year, anyway, they paid the rent of my tuition, but I started paying for my own food, so I got a job. The next year was actually the last two years was tuition only for undergrad, uh, and then grad school was like a total. That was that was all me. Did you do all your degrees at Central? I did. Okay. So that that worked out pretty well, and I did. You did kind of learn. We we didn't turn the heat on very like we kept the the thermostat because heat was expensive. It's electric heat. <laughs> I remember keeping the thermostat at about forty five degrees, so the heat would only come on if we were going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and and that that kept the bill down a little bit, but it was fine because really, I was so busy. All I did was sleep there, so I'd I'd come back and throw some food down and dive under the covers. Sure. And then I've also discovered when I looked into, I have 529s for my kids, but Washington's is just awful. Washington, that, that, I haven't compared. I, I, I so like I, the I, fact I, that I could prepay for all the units. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, doesn't that require, I can't remember, but this is in the financial planning show, but there were some deals about using that for in-state colleges and I can't remember the details on why I didn't like the Washington plan. You can use no, you can use it either way. And so the one thing I like about it, um, so it can be used out of state. The the, but there is a doling of the units, so they'll only give out X number of units every year. But like for example, my son uh, had applied to several schools up and down the West Coast. Um, the only school that didn't accept him was UW. Um, so he was, when, when he found out that San Diego had accepted him, he was super pumped up. And I said, okay, well, here's the deal, son. You got to make a choice. I've already put down the money for your bachelor's. So you could use this and go to San Diego and pay for one year. Uh, and then the rest of it is up to you. Or you can you know, go to any school in Washington and, and um, cover the whole degree. So it ended up being a... This is worth a little bit of a discussion. Much of the same mind as you, given the way I went to school. Uh, we have a nice healthy amount saved for uh, kids' education. Uh, we'll see where they want to go. Uh, my wife is very much of the, well, what if they want to go to Stanford? I said, well, they sh- then they should get a freaking scholarship. <laughs> Or student loan. Yeah, or... exactly. I'm not going to. Right. And what you'll find is if you do a little bit of research is even you might say, oh, the tuition at X school is this number, this amount of money. No one pays full price in, in some way. There's either there's there's grants, there's loans, there's this and that. But uh, what I wind this back to is the Malcolm Gladwell. This was an outliers, I believe. I think it's an outliers where long story short. Uh, you should go to the best school where you can be in the top 20% versus trying to go to the most competitive school where, like, say, the, the story was some woman, top of her class, straight A's, plus extra credit all the way through high school, goes to some top medical school filled with people exactly like her. All of a sudden, she's not the best anymore. She gets depressed, drops out of medical school. Not that that one example would, would dictate the norm, but what they do find is that if you uh, – Momentum is important. It is. It is. That's exactly it. So I'm a big fan of that. And I think 
we'll see what happens. I, I got time. I got time. Yeah, it is. The, the first one goes to high school next year. Yeah, I, I have a sophomore now uh, in high school. For me, it, it's it's the need to begin to learn life. In my view, my philosophy is is when they go off to college, right, it's not playground. It's the, the in my view, part of the point of college is to really solidify taking control of your own and life. And you've heard me rant about this before. I think too many people both in the university system, parents and students, want to treat the university as the vocational school. And I think while you're learning some skills that may help you in your career, it's the education is really at the meta level. It's life skills. It's financial planning skills. It's uh, how to live, how to become independent in sort of a safe and connected environment. There's so much of that that happens in your mm-hmm. four-ish years at university that goes, to me, as far as a, a lifetime goes, far, far beyond anything you can learn in a classroom. Yeah, my oldest, uh, and I mean, it was super explicit. when Once we finally walked through all the finances and he understood it, he said, so, Dad, what happens if, you know, something comes up and – and um, I can't pay for it. I'm like, I don't know. I guess uh, you you see what credit cards you could apply to, or you can see if you can get a loan or something. I don't know. Like I, I basically made it very clear that he'll have my empathy, and I'll support him up into the point of where I bail him out. Yes, and let me <laughs> yeah. t- but not including that point. One more example of a skill I learned that's been applicable for up up to this day and then we'll get on with the podcast is you can live on when you learn to buy top ramen and cheap bread i used to buy like the the day old bread and make uh uh and some eggs and make like uh three weeks worth of french toast and just freeze it and you put them in the toaster in the morning Mm. but what i learned is i'll give you the example tell you what i learned from it is one i worked at domino's so as long as i didn't get sick of pizza I could eat pizza anytime I worked. There's dinner taken care of. If I could make it till dinner, there's food. Uh, also, what I learned is I worked in the music building. One of my jobs, I, were, I delivered pizza, and I worked in the music building as sort of the the building monitor, locking doors, um, opening up rooms, things like that, making sure because uh, the professors all went home at you know five or six o'clock. The building was open till eleven. Someone had to make sure it didn't burn down. Nobody was fighting or partying or whatever in there. Uh, so in that job, I was nice to people. I was a service provider. I would open open doors for them, let them into classrooms, whatever they needed to do. Even though it was my job and I was paid for it, I wasn't above bartering for maybe not even direct bartering. Say, for example, someone said, hey, the practice rooms are all full. Can you let me into a classroom to practice? There's a music department, of course. And... Technically, for a small fee. Technically, <laughs> no. But the thing is, you don't you don't want to make it contingent because that's and in transference to the real life in advance. If that's contingent, then it's like weird. But it's like yeah, possibly not, I, illegal. Yeah. So <laughs> instead, the way you put it is, I'm not supposed to, but I, I I've been there. Let me go let you in this room. Please make sure it's locked when you leave and check in with me when you take off, so I know know to double check it. Just just a little bit of, you know, 
covering my butt a little bit, but letting him in there. And then maybe they go to leave and they, I remember I told them to check in with me. So they come check in with me. I said, where are you? I asked like just conversation. Where are you headed now? Oh, I'm headed over to the door. I headed over to the meal hall to get some food because they're on the meal plan. <laughs> I go, hey, uh, if you remember, can you bring me back an apple? <laughs> or are you going to the deli for dinner? Great. Uh, do you want to... Can you grab me half a sandwich while you're there? That'd be awesome. And they would. <laughs> so again, it's not, you don't directly position it as tit for tat. Like I'll only give you the room if you bring me some food later, but just be nice to people, golden <laughs> rule. And then conversationally, see if you can, they'll want to do something for you. But also it's, it's pay it forward in a way, but it works when you're broke and you're looking for ways to eat that don't cost any money. But it also don't, and I think an important life lesson there is don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Sure, but right? worse, to, and sometimes they'd say no. I said, I said, ah, I don't know. They, they don't like us to bring food out of the out, out of the out of the cafeteria, and I, and I wouldn't come back with, well, I'm not supposed to open this door for you, dick. <laughs> it's just you just kind of play it, and that's no, you're that's, playing that sort of. You're That's, playing the probabilities. That sort of negotiation is really important, you know, even in the professional world. I will cover for you, not thinking of anything uh, I want. Like, I'll do something for you at work professionally. I will put together a report for you. I'll prepare something for you. Some, some way I'm helping you out. I'm not doing it with an immediate or even necessarily a long-term idea of I want something back. But when I do need something from you, I, I will remember and I will make a connection to make sure we remember that time together and that may make you more inclined to help me out as well. The actually that that's kind of one of the ways I've built my career is basically giving if people ask for help, I will give help and then after about three times where I've given you help and and you've rejected me, I will suddenly find myself too busy to help you the fourth time. <laughs> I don't know if I get that. Uh, I'm, it, I'm it's pretty essentially, happy. It's essentially what I want to do is I want to go, okay, let's build partnerships. And a partnership is somebody who cares about your goal at the same time you care about theirs. So it's about working together to build win-wins for sure. both sides. And, and I call them relationships, but I think you want to build those relationships. And mine were, you know, the example I gave was very much, it wasn't a tip, it wasn't like a tip for tap thing, but it was within a three or four hour period. But often in the professional world, building these relationships happens over weeks or months or even years. Yeah. And, and I just believe in, I want to treat other people like I want to be treated. So I'm going to do things for them really with, I can't say with no thought in mind that I may get something back, but it's not, it's not like that directly. It's like, I want to help you out because I like helping people. And in, in doing that, we build a relationship, which I know at some point I may want to draw something back from that relationship. It's, yeah, it, uh, no, I get what you're just saying. So I, I do a similar thing. It's, it's difficult to describe, but when I realize that, um, here's how I feel: is if I'm helping people out, and then, and then um, repeatedly you show that you're not willing to help me out, I start to feel like all the help I've done for you before 
was just you manipulating me. No, and, and see, I don't. That's. I'm I'm going to try hard not to blame that on Microsoft's ultra competitive culture, but uh, I'm still like helping you. If you if you don't like help if. If I'm working with someone who doesn't want to help me or maybe they don't want to help anybody, that is a flaw in their human nature. But I don't look at it as I'm going to stop helping you. I, I, If I have a priority, if I'm going to help someone else who's going to be more appreciative of it, maybe. But I'm not going to get – I'm, there, there I'm is not a, going to go down that path. I am at times what I call afflicted with the white knight syndrome. So – I do. There, there have been times where people who I would say are abject um, opponents or even enemies that are, got themselves in a real bad bind, and the the small bit of my human soul that remains uh, doesn't allow me to reject them in those situations. Anyway, right, so we do a podcast. Hey. <laughs> Hello, listeners. We're just about ready to get started with the podcast. How about yeah. that? Yeah. This episode of Motley Fool brought to you by <laughs> Albert and Bert. Wait, that's kind of the same name. That Al- very good. Bert and Albert. Bert. No. I keep Al and Bert. A B Finance. It's A B Testing. And life What's up with you and the new one? Never mind. Uh, a couple quick announcements. I've been slacking off, not slacking off. I have tapered back my conference attendance dramatically over the last few years. Somehow threw that idea out the window and I will be in Moscow, Russia, first week in December for the Heisenberg conference. Yeah, um, we're we're almost up we're almost at the the prediction episode. And I think last year's predictions, you predicted that you would attend only one conference. So I well, think that one may go out the window. No, no, it's, <laughs> no, it's only one. That's, but that's only one in 2018. Did I, I spoke somewhere else in 2018, did I? I think 2018 maybe, hasn't started 2017, yet. 2017, I mean. <laughs> but I think the only conference I spoke at in 2017 will be Heisenberg. I don't think I did another conference in 2017. The online conference? I did the online test conference. I did. I did. You are correct. I did two. Uh, but then in 2018, I will be at Test Bash Brighton in March. Okay. I love Test Bash. That was the last conference I spoke at. Test Bash Philadelphia was the last Test Bash, I, last conference I spoke at in front of people. And then I'm going back to Star East in May, talking about tools for testing. Uh, a lot of web tools I'll go over. Haven't f- quite figured them all out yet. But let me rewind a little bit. So Moscow, I'm giving two talks. I'm giving a completely redone uh, version of technical testing. And I like it because they asked if I could do the closing keynote with that talk. And I love that because that means I can tweak the talk based on what I see in the first two days of the conference. So that's going to be nice. It, it, it will be very good. Uh, I like it when I can do that. And then I'm also giving a talk on... Uh, test automation, where I will give all of my usual rants. And also, I'm going to be using uh, interactive testing using, remember numbers? My little test app, my little app. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to pull out numbers. I had to find the code for that and do some, uh, do, <coughs> do a little bit of work there. But numbers will be in play. And then at 
Testbash in Brighton. You should put numbers up on GitHub. It is on GitHub. Okay. Put a link to it. Okay. Let me finish. I, I will link to it uh, once I finish this last round of edits. All right. Uh, what was I talking about? Test Bash. Oh, before I talk about Test Bash Brighton, actually, I'll finish talking about Test Bash Brighton, and then I'll go back. So at Test Bash Brighton, uh, I'm giving a talk called Experiences in Modern Testing. I kind of want to change it to Adventures in Modern Testing, but I, I think I can keep it as Experiences. And speaking of Ministry of Testing, just last week, I cheated on Brent a little bit, <laughs> as I usually do. And I recorded a uh, Desert Island Disc, this great podcast from uh, Neil Studd at Ministry of Testing, doing a uh, podcast where he talks to testers about test things and the five discs they bring to a desert island with them. And I grew up, you know, going to Tower Records every week, and they had this this publication that had desert island discs. So I've always been very infatuated with the topic. And I'm going to bring a book, too. And you'll have to listen to that episode coming out uh, December 1st. If you want to know what my songs and book are, I'm not going to tell you. I don't remember them being a book. No, the the book is an edition. Oh, okay. So it was fun. I really put thought into it and chose songs, not only that I could listen to a thousand times without getting tired of them, but trying to span some different genres so I could, uh, a little bit, so I could, I really thought like if I was really stuck and I could listen to these songs, probably not on a disc or a turntable, but like the only five songs on my forever rechargeable MP3 player, they would be those five songs. Uh, MP3 player that only could store five songs? Yes. Probably and, would have a pretty good solar cell. To yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. That's, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. And, and we spent a whole episode on this another time, but I want to see how succinct you can be. One of the questions I answered for indirectly, maybe directly for Neil, and uh, something I'll talk about a lot at Test Bash in Brighton is just what exactly is a modern tester? So, Brent, can you define a modern tester as we've been talking about on the podcast? Yes. You said to be succinct. So we did a episode uh, someday I got to get to. Maybe I'll do that over the Christmas break is get to titling the damn episodes. We did an episode on that topic yeah, I just that. a little while back. To me, a modern tester is more concerned about the business requirements and the functional requirements, is more concerned about actual customer quality and uses uh, data to drive it. Okay, that's their motivation. It's not a definition per se. I think the definition that we that we use here is still applicable. Right? That they use modern techniques to accelerate the achieve, achievement of shippable quality. Okay, give me an example of some modern techniques. Data analysis. Good. I put that as a high level, so now everything else I'm thinking of is a subgroup. So let, let me give you the the definition I gave Neil, and we can pick that apart. Instead. Okay. Have you ever read the Crispin Gregory uh, Agile testing books? I have. Okay. So Do I remember them? Nah. Mm -hmm. So what I said to Neil, it's very much like the Agile tester that uh, Lisa Crispin and Janet Gregory describe with 
a couple modifications. One is a heavy emphasis on data analysis as part of how they do their job. Yes. And the other one is a much deeper level of, or deeper and broader level of coaching of testing and quality techniques across the team. They're much more of an expert in testing and quality than what is described in those books. The other thing I would say that's that's critical uh, in my view is a focus on we, – we shift the needle more towards reacting than preventing. Elaborate, please. Uh, we do not schedule – the two-month-long test pass to yeah, and, and before to be, ship. And to be clear, that is not part of Agile testing either. No, no. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's... So my baseline of, of its Agile testing with a few other areas of emphasis, I think, remains accurate. But definitely, absolutely, those, those things of two-month-long test passes, 45-page test reports, risk analysis reports... Actually, that's not those. Still, those still no, those exist. still exist. Yeah, so I, I was I was backtracking. But this is a discussion of what they what's been observed after the product has been released, right? So so there's still some preventative aspect to it, um, and it's it's trying to communicate this this let, balance that's changed. Let me throw this out. Rather than trying to test quality in, which may be a bad way to put it, because I don't think anyone doing a test last approach thinks of themselves doing that, but I think our listeners understand. So rather than test quality in, it's more of we're trying to understand quality consistently. Yeah, actually, you know what? Instead of trying to I like I like this framing. So instead of trying to get the product to be the prescriptive definition of quality, we're trying to discover quality and shift the product in that direction. I like that idea of discover quality. It's better than my understand. Uh, no, it's similar, right? It, it, it's the, um, so I think about, we haven't talked about it yet, uh, but I think about one of the slides that I showed uh, recently which is essentially the only person qualified to speak to quality of your product is the customer themselves. And that's one of the that's one of the ways the modern tester tries to understand or discover quality and then help shift the direction of the product. In my head, because that ties back to Eric Reese saying you don't get value from your engineering effort until it's in the hands of customers. And then I'm But even it, then it's not guaranteed. Yeah. So in my head though, I'm shoving lean startup, lean analytics and agile testing into a into a ball and, and unfolding it into a modern tester. They're, yeah, and then you, you sprinkle it with a little test experience and I think you're exactly right. And then maybe a little bit of Jerry Weinberg's Becoming a Technical Leader, which I think is a very good book on how to coach and consult with humility, trust, and respect. Yeah, I think Jerry's – we've been quoting him for years. He's He has sort of directed the principles around modern tester before we've even thought of using these two words together. But he's been saying quality is defined by the customer for – Decades now, I think. Yeah, quality is value to some person. 
Okay. So I, what else? What no, no, else? that's that's good. I, th- I think we're in. I didn't go too far off track in my definition. I think one of the things I'll want to do for. I haven't even started on my slides yet for Test Bash Brighton. Mm-hmm. Sorry for anyone there who thinks I should have. But they, they've they been forming in my head. And I think one thing is important is, you know, we've been talking about modern tester here for a while. I want to kind of define it and then dive into those definitions. So you can imagine the talk is maybe a definition of a modern tester and then diving into examples. And So and, are you officially stating that the A-B testing podcast is now going to create the – Sixth school of testing? There are no schools of testing, so shut up. (laughs) Let me repeat that slowly. There are no schools of testing, except for those defined by people who want to differentiate themselves. I completely agree. I just wanted to make your neck veins bulge. I'm fine. (laughs) It's funny. I don't get mad as often anymore. I'm not so close to the edge as I used to be maybe 10 months ago and longer. Yeah. I, I am. I'm, huh. I'm, I'm a little bit of the crotchety old man too. Like I, I believe in my ways, and I think my ideas are sound, and I don't mind saying what I believe and don't believe in. Uh, just recently, I, I don't know if you saw my last post on the worrisome world of words, Mm-mm. and I kind of made fun of some of the semantic argument. Not named fun. I dove into. This is worth bringing up uh, here as well because uh, some people listen more than read, but takeaway was that in the test community, there's a lot of focus on, oh, this word means this, and checking versus testing, manual versus human, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And while those can be an interesting discussion and they can help convey some nuance in meeting, uh, I realized that as long as the team is aligned on mission and purpose, we know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I poke back to Simon Sinek's work on Start With Why. don't know if you ever read that. But, I, uh, it's, it's like, yeah, if you start with why you're doing it, uh, it explains it, – it's so much easier to get the team behind it. And we talked about organizational change, et cetera. So if we start with why we're doing what we're doing, what is our goal, why do we care about it, and get the team aligned on mission and purpose, the words you describe, whether what you're doing is called smoke testing or checking or – stress testing or whatever, just don't matter. Or fuzzy bunny. Yeah, fuzzy bunny testing. I'm doing fuzzy bunny testing. It doesn't matter because instead, those things can be important at a much lower level. Like I'm going to do some, you you might say I'm going to do some soak testing. Like I've never done it because I don't never bother to look up what it means, but it's a word that's out there. I'll ask, what does that mean? Okay, I get it. No problem. I'm not going to worry about a name because I know it's driving towards our goal and purpose. Anyway, rewinding the tangent factory back in, one thing I wanted to talk about as we begin the podcast (laughs) is I had my entire team in town last week for what we called the Unity Services Test Summit, USTS, about 40 people here, a ton of fun, more positive feedback, honestly, than I expected. So I'm really happy. Uh, People thought the balance was good. We had one, an overview of all of the services at Unity because nobody really knew what they all were presented by people across the team spread out over a few days. We had some time to talk with each other. We had a full day with a few interruptions of plus a few hours of what we call hack projects. This idea of doing, uh, what do they call them at Microsoft? I've forgotten. Hackathons? Hackathon. This, this idea of doing a hack project 
is very much part of the Unity culture. There's a hack week uh, every year. There are little hack days here and there. I wanted to make sure, one, that we could have some hack time together to work on some projects, and that, two, kind of kickstart some cross-team projects, which would also facilitate knowledge of knowing who people are. And it worked out great. People were from different – it wasn't just – with a few exceptions, it wasn't just like one team clicking together on a project. It was uh, it was <laughs> definitely cross-organizational efforts. Excited about that. Then, of course, we had uh, a few guest speakers. We had uh, Alan Mervold from Google talking about life as a productivity engineer, uh, which was good. His technical title is a test engineer, but he talked about what he does, which is very little testing. And what did more- he do here? Alan Mervold was security and office. And, okay. and here being Microsoft for yep. those who can't see the room we're in. <laughs> and then uh, a, a little-known principal data scientist manager from Microsoft, Bert Jertson. Uh, sorry, Brent Jensen, <laughs> also talked about uh, – what was your topic on? Uh, building – building a, I think it was called Building a Data-Centric Culture for Modern Tester or something like that. I forget the title. All right. Something about using data more, which is a principle I've been driving into my team. Feedback on that was very good. How, what did you think of that about that, Brent? I, I had a blast. I had a blast. If there was anything I wish I could have done differently is show up a little earlier to watch even more of the presentations because uh, I found that picking on members of your team actually helped the presentation. Yeah, we had someone bring up the the infamous software testing cupcake anti-pattern. Yep. <laughs> yep. But even then, before then, you had someone talking about, you know, the business criteria. And so I was able to weave that into my talk to make it a bit more context sensitive. Yeah. Because uh, the, the deck itself which uh, is available on the Slack channel. So if you're not on the Slack channel, One get of the on three.slack.com. You can hit me at Twitter, at Alan Page, and I'll give you permission. Yep. Um, I'll need your email address. You, you can DM me. But it, it it's a generic deck, it, but it's missing sort of specific context for the particular business of the particular company. And so getting some context and being able to present it and then tie the dots together, that was good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, One of the things, and I love both you and Alan were able to reemphasize a lot of points I've been making with the team over and over. And I definitely saw the takeaway if people really get that, oh yeah, data is important. We're going to dive in here. One of the hack groups that I sat in on, I, I kind of wrote, I, I floated a little bit, but one of the hack groups I sat in on was they called it a study group to look at our existing data and provide some extra guidance, some extra tutorials, et cetera. So we sat down with the, uh, we have a, use Presto, uh, SQL engine on top of our data store okay. and started poking through. And we found some really interesting insights, which was fun. I think insights are addictive. We also found a lot of data quality issues. Yeah. (laughs) So the the fun part there is, is is every group gave a presentation and I talked a little bit about data quality in our presentation. And I got a little bit of applause when I said, I can't remember how I did it. It was very spontaneous, but I said, data quality is an issue and we do not have a data quality team blank faces. Welcome everyone 
to the Unity Data Quality Team. <laughs> <laughs> so they understand that not only do they have to use it, but they have to start driving, like, look, these these column names don't make sense. The data you're collecting here is not GDPR compliant. These, uh, this needs to be cleaned up, or these, these, these tables should be separate. These tables should be joined. These tables should be in this schema. They're, they get that now, at least at, at varying levels across the org. So what be are, careful so I, I like with that. that. Be careful with that because you can – that is a problem that no matter how much energy you spend on it will never get fixed. No, I, I understand that. And you're yep. never going to get it perfect, but they know enough the, – the, the tipping point that I think they're over now is they know enough about it to go to – to go to their teams they're working with and go, hey, I can't answer this question via data. Or when I try to answer this question via data, I get this column gives me this information, which isn't helpful. They- so was there anything – so takeaway – I'm curious. Takeaways from your team specifically on mine. So you, you talked to that there were some philosophical principles that they delivered that were aligned with things that you've already communicated. Was there anything in addition or anything um, concrete and practical that you think your team took away? Uh, There's one thing I was just thinking of is, yeah, the the approach of how to think about the problem you're trying to address and strung it through into into the to what data needs to be there. I presented that, but it might have been at that point in time, too much content. No, they get it. And I went off a little bit in a tangent talking about our data quality issue, but I think it's really at a meta level, They to reel myself back in, is a much greater understanding of how important and critical using data is to our evolution and growth, yep. our growth and evolution. Definitely lots of comments about that. Uh, I asked in my opening presentation I asked everyone to leave with an action plan. What am I going to do differently because of what I learned here? And I preempted that again at a higher level saying your big takeaways are really three things. See if you remember what they are. Is I expect you to come to walk away with a much greater understanding of how we use data to do our job effectively now and in the future. That I think accomplished. Two, an overview to you know, understand what services are at Unity across the board and understand the variety of that. And that happened as well via that uh, multiple ways. And three is just get to know everybody else on the team. When I joined, services org was spread among different teams. There was a small services org, but some other pieces were here and there. And we've combined those teams and then grown by a bunch of people. So this is the first time they've ever had a chance to meet each other. I was the only person in the room by, that could even name half the people in the room, let alone all of them. And even by the end, nobody could name everybody. So this is all – so there's a big advantage is getting everybody together. And that was one of the takeaways. So those are very high-level takeaways. Also, then I asked – we have our – in our internal Slack, uh, I've asked people to start posting like parts of their action plan. Like what's something you're going to do differently or what's something you're going to work on and commit to as a result of this summit? And a lot of things so far are – there's some things around engaging with data, using our data platform more, working with developers to uh, – working with the, their feature teams and even program management to make sure we get the right data in place. That's part of it. And then just some continued work on some of the projects people did, which are uh, – one was really cool, using machine learning to de- – uh, using machine learning, Brent, Brent's eyes just got like as big as like a cow. Uh, using machine learning to detect uh, fraud in our in-app purchase system. 
Okay. And they got to they got to start on that, uh, which was fun, and they're excited to keep that going. But little things like that are just exciting to see. Uh, so, still waiting for more people to enter some of those things. So, uh, we'll see what happens. But overall. From my end, very happy with what people took away. Uh, we also had a lot of fun, too. We had some group dinners together. We played whirly ball. <laughs> so you know, so everyone, your... everyone got to see just how competitive I can be. I have never, <laughs> uh, never played whirly ball. For uh, those who yeah. haven't played whirly ball, which is pretty much anyone listening, it's... It's a cross between uh, kind of lacrosse and bumper cars and basketball. I'll explain it better. You have these little short scoops that you use like to throw the ball back and forth. I'm sure they have a name, a little wiffle ball back and forth. And you want to scoop up the ball and throw it through this. It's like a vertical. I think it's vertical lacrosse ba- with bumper cars. It's like a vertical basket. So you have a scoop, pick up the ball, throw it through a hole. But you're driving around in bumper cars uh, while you're doing this. It's as absurd and silly as it sounds, <laughs> but a lot of fun. But it's been it's been team morale um, events for decades. Yeah, we have and the whole- somehow I have escaped it uh, my entire career here. So my team, uh, my team of all stars, won every single match of the of the round robin. Then we get to the playoff bracket and, lo- and lose our first match. <sighs> I wanted to fire everyone. You're like, but I held back. <laughs> you, you didn't step up. You, you don't beat the boss. You You're all gone. <laughs> no, I wasn't mad at the team for winning. I was mad at my teammates for losing. <laughs> I don't tolerate losers. <laughs> no, it, it, it was a good time uh, all week. So. And it worked out very well for my recovery that it was Monday through Thursday last week, week before last, week before last. And Friday was a company holiday for Veterans Day. So I got to have a nice three-day weekend to recover. That was nice. And that was the uh, sort of the summit. And we'll do it again next year. Uh, Next year, we'll be in Europe somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure where yet. I should probably- Oh, why didn't you invite me to talk at that one? Because <laughs> uh, half my team, of course, is maybe more than eh, with San Francisco. Half my team is from Europe these days, and uh, while visas, we actually got everyone here. No one got sent back at the airport. Uh, visas got worked out. It was great, but I think it's fair for travel. We'll do it in Europe next year. I'm uh, not sure where yet. I had uh, we had one developer from the ads team attend, and he worked on oh a contract based contract based testing framework which worked out really well. A really cool guy. And he's. I sat next to him. Oh, I went to a place called Fogo de Chao. Is that a restaurant? It's a restaurant. Okay. Long story. But anyway, I'm sitting next to him, and he starts talking to me about how we need to have our next offsite in his hometown in Brazil. And it looks it's beautiful pictures, so maybe maybe it'll work out. Anyway, I had a lot of fun. We're glad uh, to have you. I think, the, I think the deck is a... Uh, Solid one. I think there's only based off of the. Uh, I think there's only a, just a few tweaks that I would want to do to it. All right, Brent. Okay. I think we're all out of stuff for today's episode of AB testing. Agreed. All right. I'm Alan. I'm Brent, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>